Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. In a world where AI and technology are reshaping the way we work, alongside the volatility of the global economy, it's clear that traditional approaches to workforce planning need a rethink. Skills are evolving at an unprecedented rate, remote and hybrid work models are becoming the norm, and the demand for agility within our organisations has never been greater. But, while these changes to the world of work may be presented as challenges at face value, in reality they also provide us with a unique opportunity to redefine how we prepare our workforce for the future. Joining me today to discuss this concept is Becky Thielen, Senior Director of People Analytics at Microsoft. Becky has been instrumental in guiding Microsoft through the complexities of strategic workforce planning, leveraging analytics to develop a robust foundation in workforce management and demand planning, which we will unpack during our conversation. Together, we'll explore the significance of aligning people, processes, data, and technology. Becky will share some of the challenges Microsoft has faced, the strategies implemented to overcome them, and the lessons learned along the way. So whether you're just beginning to think about these topics or are looking to refine your existing strategies, this episode will provide you with the knowledge and inspiration you need to start building a strong foundation in strategic workforce planning. With that, let's dive into the conversation with Becky. Today, I am delighted to welcome Becky Thielen, Senior Director of People Analytics at Microsoft to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Becky, thanks for being a guest on the show. It's great to see you again. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your role at Microsoft and your background in HR and people analytics? Absolutely. Hi, David. It's lovely to connect with you again, as always. And thanks for having me for a guest today. To talk a little bit about my role at Microsoft, I get the opportunity to advise our HR centers of excellence leaders and teams and partner with them frequently on all data and insights focused on helping our employees thrive and Microsoft succeed. And so with that, I sit in the HR organization in what we call our HR business insights team and others may also recognize the acronym that we put on it, HRBI. Many listeners have heard some folks from HRBI in the past or seen some of our content. But to give a little bit more, our mission is to empower HR and the business to make impactful people and culture decisions using data and insights. I also had the privilege to be a part of this team for the last 12 years to help build and evolve this team into the people analytics organization it is today, with many great partners, of course, to make that happen. But prior to people analytics, I got the opportunity to work in many roles across different industries around HR strategy, planning, technology, processes, course data, 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 um, and operations. That's a great background, Becky. And, and obviously, a couple of just follow-ups on that. Number, number one, 12 years in people analytics. The, the field has evolved a lot during those 12 years. I know it's evolved a lot at Microsoft in those 12 years, but actually if we think going back, so that's that's 2012, there weren't that many organizations doing people analytics back in 2012. If you if you sort of reflect on how the field has progressed during that time, what are some of the your key sort of observations around that? Ooh, I'll have to say it's been a fun 12 years. Um, lots of Lots of changes you mentioned. A few things that stand out, right? When we first brought the team together, we we did so by 
you know, centralizing resources that were doing reporting some analytics out in our different, you know, lines of business and HR. And so we've moved, I think predominantly one of the biggest things is move from reporting and just data delivery, right, to true analytics dashboards that are interactive and in line with the new different user personas versus flat, right? So that big evolution on, on reporting basics to more useful and impactful targeted reporting and, and being able to do those true analytics and insights and prioritize that way. Um, I would say another thing back when, you know, we were building and forming in, in these spaces, we didn't have a lot of groups to kind of compare to, as you mentioned, there wasn't that many people analytics spaces, but to be able to see how much has grown across our different companies and how valued people analytics is across the different companies and industries has been just a fun thing to watch and observe. So, so Becky, the second follow-up was around your background is obviously analytics, but also strategy and planning. Those are quite three important things to bring together, I think, you know, because they, they go together very well, don't they? They do. They do. When I started Microsoft, I actually moved to Microsoft to help enable, at the time, the CHRO um, prior to Kathleen, her to build out her strategy and work through what is the strategic planning processes and the prioritization decisions that needed to happen in there. And that was a really exciting journey to be on with her as she was new to role at that time frame. And being able to use some of my data and technology background and, and strategic planning background for other companies to bring that to Microsoft. And I, of course, fell in love with Microsoft. That's why I'm here now. It's actually 17 years at Microsoft for me. Um, here, I played multiple, multiple roles along that way. But strategy and planning is near and dear to my heart. And then to bring data into it and get to do that every day now is also exciting. As you know, Becky, you know, a number of previous episodes of the Digital HR Leaders podcast have been focused on that kind of important pivot from workforce planning to strategic workforce planning. Please, can you tell us and tell listeners a little bit about what you found as one of the most important ingredients needed to progress to strategic workforce planning? Yeah, as HR leaders and analytical professionals, we're we're very aware there's a changing landscape that we have going on with skills and, and how we do work. In my own team, I'm seeing this challenge play out and our analytical technologies are changing and evolving. So how we work and the skills that we need to do our jobs are changing, right? And so we're actually, we're using AI and I'll talk a little bit about that later on. Uh, but however, with the whiplash to the economy and our, the pandemic that we all just went through, the more strategic conversation you, you really have, you want to get to, it truly has to start with a strong foundation. You got to be able to juggle that kind of forest and trees focus areas. And for us, that's been a key learning and, and focus in the last couple of years is to just keep shoring up that foundation. What I mean by that is we have to be very aligned on what is our current and our near future look like for headcount and demand planning, right? And so that affordability versus the business need versus our hiring that's currently in flight and the demand that's needed and you got to factor in all the variables of what's going on around us. And if these ingredients get out of balance, you can't make those quick pivots that need to happen. And you also are having a, it'll help, it'll make you struggle to have that more strategic conversation if you're on that shaky sand, right? That shaky ground that you could be on. I'd love to hear, you know, how you managed to get that foundation in strategic workforce planning established at, at Microsoft. 
So, you know, the high demands and business needs were a big enabler for us to greatly improve the foundation. And so I'll start with two years ago when we, along with many in the tech industry, were at this major growth timeframe just to address the needs of that more hybrid and remote workforce. We really started seeing some cracks in our workforce planning foundation. You know, we were, of course, in that unique position in the company to have most of our data and reporting that we need in some type of data, you know, solution that we could use. But we were um, also seeing that it was, you know, that strong partnership that was critical. And that we, while we had a lot of our data, which was good, we didn't have everything, right? And we didn't know everything that we needed to bring to the table to make that work. So as hedge, you know, the headwind shifted and accelerated our need to kind of develop a more robust data and reporting solution to enable quick insights for those businesses for recruiting, for finance and HR leaders to make critical decisions. By modifying and providing access to some of our existing reporting, such as attrition, recruiting, uh, and not to, to non-HR partners like finance and business chiefs of staff, we empowered others to do some basic self-service critical workforce data decision. So putting that data in the hands of those that are making the decisions on the ground in those real-time moments, but it also, you know, selfishly, it freed up some great time in HRBI for us to really go deep and getting that next realm of work that we can do and the strategic insights and pulling that data from others um, across the way to make it more rich and robust. So play it forward, right? We all just went through and we're still going through some of these economic downturn um, components that were or issues that we're in right now. We had that increased examination of our headcount, right? And those processes that we needed to go to manage that headcount to ensure that we were precise. With that examination, it, it needed that united company leadership to prioritize system and process changes at that enterprise level that we really needed. So finance and HR co-led a broad programmatic effort to drive improvement in our headcount management and workforce planning processes. Also, we were able to kind of use that partnership that we have in that co-led programmatic effort to not only improve those base foundational systems and processes, but to also bring and join data together that we didn't necessarily have joined in the past. And so you can imagine we're a pretty complex organization at Microsoft. You know, we have things that we've got a workforce plan around that are data centers, sales, you have gaming studios, our traditional software engineering you know, spaces, and then of course, corporate functions. So we all have different unique elements that we need to think about when we're, we're doing this type of work. But we started with beginning and identifying kind of our foundational elements that we needed to enable that stronger workforce planning, the position management, the rec structures, the forecasting and demand planning. You got all these different rhythms that happen based on what business you're in and different variables you may need to add to it. And then really brokering, like I mentioned, that access to the data and pulling it together to, to have those insights come to life. So we identified those core elements across the enterprise. And that's where we started seeing kind of that rich outcome um, for evolving the, the base foundation, but also how we can continue to do more together. No, it's really good. And you talked about that relationship with with finance. I mean, how important was that? And and maybe you know, for some of uh, some of your peers listening from other organisations, you know, what guidance would you give around how to establish a strong 
partnership with finance? The partnership with finance was just critical. I, I think I meet with my finance partner, um, the counterpart on this, at least once a week, many times, two or three times a week, depending on the type of work that we have going on at that time frame. But in building that um, relationship, I think the key thing that I found in here, and, and one, we were united around the problem statement, which is super important to, to, to align first, but truly really understanding each other's challenges in persona, what we need to, to get out of our work together. Um, once we were able to get, of course, on board with the common problem and understand each other, it was easier for us to meet both of our needs and also developing that longer term trust in those connections that we need to do to bring our data together. CultureAmp revolutionizes how over 25 million employees across 6,500 companies create a better world of work. As a global platform leader for employee experience, CultureAmp empowers companies of all sizes and industries to transform employee engagement, develop high-performing teams, and retain talent via cutting-edge research using powerful technology and the largest employee data set in the world. The most innovative companies across the globe depend on CultureAmp every day. CultureAmp is banked by over 12 years of innovation, leading venture capital funds, and offices in the US, UK, and Australia. CultureAmp was recognized as one of the world's top private cloud companies by Forbes, and one of the most innovative workplace companies by Fast Company. Learn more about how CultureAmp can help you create a better world of work at cultureamp.com. That's cultureamp.com. If we look outside Microsoft for a minute, and obviously I know you, you speak with peers in, in, in other organizations, and I know from speaking to, to many peers that, that actually getting this foundation can actually be quite difficult. Why do you think it is so challenging for so many companies to establish that foundation in strategic workforce planning? I will say it's very challenging. And before we did this project, um, I would say too, we learned along the way that many others had tried this project. Many were trying it in the areas that they control and own. They may have tried to connect with others along the way, but you would see a silo of, of work happening, um, trying to tackle this problem for one business group or another. Right? And that then created all these different siloed potential solutions or processes or ways of working right? that people get accustomed to and used to. And so that really was a crux of some of the big challenges that, that come into play. But when we got together on that common issue itself, it became that broad co-led where you have finance and HR owning it at the senior leadership level of the company and assigning resources on it together um, itself. It really led for that kind of that broad initiative. What I mentioned about identifying the personas, it's not just our finance persona and our HR persona, right? You have the recruiting persona, you have the business chief of staff persona, you have the different HR leaders in there, and then the individual business controllers, um, you know, finance controllers in there and central finance. So a lot of different personas that needed to come to life. And so anytime you have a lot of people and a lot of different objectives and stuff, it can get kind of messy. 
we did pull these groups together. And I think it was a moment that mattered where we spent two days in an, in a room together. And I think I whiteboarded a lot during that time frame where we truly got grounded of how, what we're solving and how we're going to solve it and really locking arms. Let's look at the role of technology in enabling strategic workforce planning. You know, how did Microsoft technically enable uh, your strategic workforce planning foundation? Well, I'll go through there a few iterations, um, but I would say, you know, as a part of bringing all that data we just talked about um, together, originally when we brought it together, it could take a minimum of six hours to refresh this data. So just supply the data and the insights, or actually that's just the data, then it's the analyzing and insights. To just supply that reporting and, and insights to our senior leaders across the company on a weekly basis. So if you can imagine, my team didn't love six hours of data work. <laughs> they would have much you know, more enjoyed the analytics or the modeling components of it. And so I would say the thing that got me really excited um, and, and why I wanted to, to talk about this with you too, one of the reasons, there's many reasons, was we were able to then start using this new product that came out from Microsoft in the uh, recent Ignite event, and that was a few months back, called Fabric. And this is something that I think people analytics organizations will get a win out of. Um, for us, we were able to take that six hours and turn it into about 15 to 20 minutes of refresh and joining across multiple systems um, and, and data sets without having to um, copy and recreate data multiple times, which was beautiful. And as you can imagine, my team may have jumped for joy um, in here <laughs> in that time frame. But to give you a little bit around what is Fabric itself. So we haven't used all the aspects of Fabric, all the great features. So I'll tell you a little bit about the features itself. But I would say we dipped the toe in the water. This is one of my first projects working on um, Fabric um, in here. And so what it did was neatly join that data. Um, and cut out that manual time um, on there for my team. And we're starting to use those next product offerings. So Fabric itself, it is using kind of best of breed engines for ETL and ELT with Spark and data engineering, data science, machine learning, data warehousing, real-time analytics, BNI, BI and reporting, as well as it has this new thing called data activator. I haven't used it yet, but this is something I'm super excited about. And this is what I want to move to very quickly. Uh, what it does is it enables users to get notifications and build workflows, like if there's a change in data. So think about those. We've talked about nudges in the past. So we use different things for nudges, but being able to kind of see in a fast way when your data has some type of shift with parameters um, is something I'm excited about. The other piece to it too, it integrates with Microsoft Office. So I don't know about everyone here, but I would say for me and our team, we do a lot of time at delivering reporting and analytics through PowerPoint, through Excel, a lot of times PowerPoint, right? For meetings and such, it can refresh itself, <laughs> which is one of the things that um, I get uh, a little bit smiling about on that one, because it would cut out a lot of time for us to, to really redo those PowerPoints all the time. but. I think the other thing I would say to it as well, it, we haven't started using all the different pieces of it, but I am starting to really look at kind of the, the AI pieces that it utilizes, such as generative um, AI and classical AI. 
I think it will help us with forecasting and being able to play with those different variables that may come into play. So right now, I feel like our foundation is strongly looking around the corner of what could happen next, but I think it's just going to get better. Yeah, and it's a great example, I think, you know, of how people analytics, all the work of the analysts in the people analytics team is going to change as technology, as more of this technology comes in. Uh, now, obviously, at Microsoft, you get the advantage to play with some of this stuff, maybe before some of your peers in, in other organizations, particularly non-tech organizations. But I guess we can see that, you know, um, a lot of that timely, repetitive work that, that analysts do. I mean, you said your team, you know, obviously, it's frustrating and it used to take six hours to do maybe not the most exciting work compared to some of the other um, analysis that they'll do but now it's that's got that down to 20 minutes that's quite a significant change isn't it and not only that it sounds like you're able to automate the the updating of the powerpoints that you push out to your customers in the business around the the, the workforce planning piece as well so you know that's a lot that's that's a yeah. big improvement a big time saver it is it? you know we talk about it in our team you know we're currently working on and these types of technologies help us take out some of those pieces of work that are not our favorite. We're analysts. We want to be analyzing, right? Then what can we do and what are our next steps with it? And I think you know, for us, we get to do more analytics and also really dig into the other questions that we haven't been able to in the past of disparate data you know, or difficult to join data that we just didn't have the bandwidth to do so because we were lifting up other critical things. For you, as someone that's been working in this area for for a long time, and also has that background in strategy and, and planning as well, what are the key business benefits of effective strategic workforce planning? I can go on and on on this one, but I'll just name a couple. But first, I'm just going to highlight the help that it's doing for our global talent acquisition organization, um, and that's near and dear to my heart. They're one of my clients since I have the centers of excellence, and so just allowing that longer term stronger hiring demand and capacity planning models out there has already started creating a better experience um, for our talent acquisition teams. Being able to see what that volume looks like, where it may be geographically, et cetera, so important um, for us to be able to plan and, and set that team up for success. Hiring managers, right? So if the volume's managed well in, global, in the talent acquisition teams, then it's a smoother process for hiring managers and such along the way. I'm sure chief of staffs are quite happy with also having that foresight and view around what's coming as they're planning for their businesses and then finance folks, name it, right? And then in general, it'll impact our candidates. If talent acquisition is running smoother, our candidates have a better experience as well. And so I know that's kind of a big kind of end-to-end -end piece, but I do see how that affects so much um, of just being able to, to properly plan the best way we can here. The other things I call out to just having this you know, deeper accuracy for headcount and hiring and being able to look around that corner and share those, those thoughts and those models out with others, it gives that ability for finance to, to really test and play you know, with their, their forecasts and affordability. It gives folks with even in our HR organization, let's think about we have onboarding, right? And so to be able to plan for who's coming on board and how many and where they're coming into in a longer term way, there's so many different factors that have um, been able to be realized and impacts that have been able to be realized since we've been able to increase our foundation accuracy. 
We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Becky, if you reflect on sort of the journey that you've been on and the experience, you know, what are the key learnings and guidance you would share with with listeners? Maybe, you know, you're you're you'll have we have a lot of HR and people analytics professionals listening to this podcast, many of whom maybe are working on on strategic workforce planning in their own organizations, maybe struggling with it. So I'm sure that they, they'd welcome sort of any key learnings and guidance that you can share with them. For that one, you know, I've already said it a little bit, but I'll say it again because it's so important. And this is not an HR project. This is a cross-enterprise project. And that partnership across the board is just by far the most critical, right? And then I would also say a learning that we had, right, as we saw the different siloed motions not working and kind of failing or creating these data islands and process islands, right? When you brought it all together, that broad coalition of people across the enterprise became the natural change champions. And I, you know, my family, we use that many hands make lighter work. It really meant that way. Like it was a lot of work up front to get everybody aligned. But once everybody was aligned and we had that you know, vision of where we're going, I really, you know, like I'll use the chief of staffs for each of the business groups. They became some of our strongest partners to help us roll this out and also maintain the integrity of what we wanted to accomplish with headcount management. Yeah, no, it's such an important point because, as you said, this work is it's complex, it's difficult. You need to align lots of different stakeholders to it. If no one's going to do anything with it, then you're kind of wasting your time. So. You know, and it is, I think we can apply that to all analytics, really, isn't it? It's not just about doing the work, getting the insights. It's about how can we use the insights to drive decisions and then drive change and then and then measure the, the success or otherwise of, of the initiatives as well. Very true. You know, and I think about that too, you know, when the team, you know, came together of joining our different voices, we took away territory, right? It wasn't like that wasn't a part of the conversation. We really stayed very focused around what we needed to accomplish um, and listening to each other in that process. And also to be honest, you know, there's a lot of pain going on in with headwinds changing and coming off of like big, big hiring timeframe to, oh, let's pause, let's see what's going on with the economy. It was a bit of an unsure time um, in some of those, those moments. And so I'd say anytime you're working on a big change, it's easier to ignite when you do have some pain in the system. And it's a, in terms of measuring success, I appreciate it's difficult because you're going across a whole gamut of the organization. And obviously you gave the example of talent acquisition, I guess, 
you know, are we recruiting to plan a bit more often? Have we got the right number of recruiters in place, et cetera, et cetera? You can measure candidate experience. That you know what, and, and you mentioned obviously the feedback that you're getting from the chiefs of staff. It, it, what are the sort of ways that you measure success and and learn and then iterate as you move forward? We have a, a slew of success measurements um, related to this work that we did, but a couple of just very very high level ones, right? And so, would the senior leaders are they? Do they understand, you know, what the plan is? Do they agree with the plan? And are we operating against that and, and achieving success, right? And so they will tell you pretty quickly if we're not. And so having that accurate data, right, to be more of a conversation around executing on the plan versus debating the plan, right? Because we're all speaking the same same language of the numbers um, on that, which is a very high level one. Our goal, right, is to enable the business to succeed. Uh, in there. And so ensuring that we're able to fill the roles when we need to fill the roles and they can get hitting the ground running, right? Because we planned for them from an onboarding perspective, you name it. So there's lots of high level kind of measurements in there. And then there's more detailed measurements around the exact, you know, kind of percentage. Like if we predicted this, how did it actually land and what, it, what was different? So we can keep tuning the variables of the model that's the piece that's never going to be that complete exact science. We can't always predict everything that can occur, but we can always get smarter and get closer and closer to the pin. So what's next? You know, if we turn to the future, you know, what's what's next on the strategic workforce planning journey for Microsoft? I want to optimize the current state still. So before I, you know, talk about some of those cool, fun things in the future piece, I'll say optimizing the current state. I already mentioned that refining and tuning the models, getting closer and closer to you know, as accurate as possible. Definitely going to dip our toe in the water further and further with Fabric and, and our latest and greatest technologies that we have available. Uh, Fabric also has multiple co-pilots. And so it's it has been easier to learn it and adopt it at this point, but there's more that we can do and explore. Uh, and so we will be doing that. And then, of course, there's the advancing the future. And so we we talked about the importance of this strong foundation, but now we have the momentum and we have the data to better enable more talent management conversations and decisions, more skilling assessment conversations and decisions, redeployment of talent as we ship businesses you know, around, and then ultimately continue to impact hiring outcomes um, in here. And so I think for some of those pieces too would be those important uh, decisions and principles around geography and even hybrid in that part of the conversation, which we know many organizations are having discussions about hybrid. But when you have that base and understanding, you can also bring that conversation to light in a new way. It's so important. I mean, if we talk about the importance of strategic workforce planning, it certainly seems, you know, talking to many organizations around the world, there's more focus on this at the moment. Um, it's partly because, as you said, you know the ways of the ways in which we work are, are changing, and that's that's been accelerated by the pandemic. And I guess we're also facing, if you look at um, you know talent demographics in most of the major major countries or major country, developed countries around the world, actually the size of the working population is shrinking as well. So actually, workforce planning just becomes more and more important than with with all those elements, doesn't it? It does. All of those things that you mentioned and the conversations and decisions and strategies and as much future proofing and planning that you can do, the better off we're going to be, right? And I think also the better experience and how our employees can thrive in 
how our jobs are evolving and changing and, and what's next around these different corners can make a big impact. That sets up the, the question of the series very well, Becky, there. It's almost like we planned it. We hadn't planned that bit at all. Um, so this is a question we're asking every guest in this series of, of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. What are your top three ways? You don't have to have three. You can have four. You can have two if you want to. What are your top three ways in which HR can play a pivotal role in creating a thriving organizational culture? First, I have to say, I love that you use the word thriving and you ask that question. Um I think you've seen some of our content, but in, in aware in Microsoft, we are measuring thriving uh, for within the organization. And we break down thriving into three components. And so we measure in our listening systems, these three components around meaningful work, empowerment, and energized. And there are many things that you know we analyze around that, uh, but we share those insights across the company and help support and enable our employees to thrive. As, as I mentioned, it is a part of our mission. That's one of our key things. But there are multiple ways HR you know, plays such pivotal roles in creating a thriving organization or enabling a, a thriving organization. But first I'll start with near and dear to us is people analytics. Um, and so when I think about our, our pivotal role in people analytics, we do play an important um, kind of role to measure and provide data and insights and in, to enable HR and business leaders to prioritize actions, coaching that may need to happen, processes that may need to evolve, you name it. Um, I think that's a, a key part of what we do in people analytics to enable the organization to thrive. And then, you know, next I'll pivot to more HR, just HR leaders in general. One of the things that I've learned is I as I think through the analytics I want to provide and what my team is doing related to this, I think first about the I need to role model the behaviors that enable a thriving organization. And I think HR leaders have to do that because we are really, we need to help enable this broadly. So to do so, we have to do that cliche thing of put our own oxygen mask on and live it and breathe it ourselves so we can help and coach others, right? And so I think that's helping coach and enable others um, is important for us. And then I'll speak kind of broadly from an HR function um, perspective and, and more targeted to the COEs because, you know, that's where my focus has been so much um, for a while. But I would say for our COE leaders, centers of excellence leaders and program owners, are really leaning into the data that's provided by your people analytics team and really understanding how your programs, your processes, your services, you name it, are truly impacting or enabling thriving in the organization. If you don't have that connection, then that's a good question to ask to your people analytics team to help you kind of think through that. As I do feel strongly that we in HR have an ability to impact thriving in each interaction that we have with employees and candidates. And so what I mean by that is every question that they bring in, an employee may raise into whatever funnel that you have for employee support and, and questions to your manager development trainings and performance management process, leadership development paths, you name it. Each interaction has an ability to make that impact better for everyone. Perfect. Yeah. And it's, it is about action, isn't it? At the end of the day, we can have the most sophisticated listening technologies. We can use active listening. We can, as I know you do at Microsoft, do a pulse every day to a proportion of employees. And we can do some great analysis on it. We can we can look at um, passive data, so we can we can anonymize and aggregate that and look at some of the trends around it. But if people don't act on the insights and we don't communicate that we're acting on the insights, then it then it, it, creating that culture that that culture of thriving is 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 difficult. Understanding what 
causes thriving and and actually trying to you know, industrialize that if we can, if that's the right word within within the organization is important. Uh, yes, it? absolutely. You know, I I get the opportunity to work with some amazing leaders in HR that will take action, and of course, business leaders that are very data driven and want to take action as well in there. I think that's if I was to call out anything to our different HR leaders, just really keep pushing on those actions that you can drive um, in here. The insights, as you mentioned are wonderful and being able to measure is wonderful and and our team really enjoys doing it but they would not get the satisfaction also that they had that they get today without seeing those insights turn into action and then also seeing the success happening in the company well what a great way to end our conversation i can't believe we've already got to to the end becky thank you so much uh for being a guest on the digital hr leaders podcast and sharing some of the work that you're doing at microsoft around strategic workforce power i think it's really going to help um you know many of our listeners that are that are trying to struggling with some of that work in their own organizations can, can you let listeners know how they can connect with you on social media find and find out more about your work at microsoft absolutely and first i'll say thank you for also having me today as always david it's it's a pleasure to to chat with you um you know for anyone that wants to connect on this opportunity or other um you know things in people analytics feel free to message me on linkedin um, or send a connection request. Happy to chat and, and share more. And at times we do publish sometimes, you know, publicly on LinkedIn or HBR articles, et cetera, some of our work that we find. We do have one on thriving um, that we published last year uh, on HBR if anybody wants to take a look at it. Thank you, Becky. And we'll put the link to some of those uh, resources in the show notes as well for people. Becky, thank you very much. I look forward to hopefully seeing you at a conference or an event, uh, an Inside 222 event maybe, uh, around the world at some point this year. Take care and uh, speak to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. A huge thank you to our guest, Becky Thielen, for joining us today and sharing her invaluable experiences and strategies from the front line of strategic workforce planning at Microsoft. If you found value in today's episode, we'd be grateful if you could take a moment to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast platform, as this helps us to continue delivering content every week. For more from us at Insight222, you can follow us on LinkedIn and subscribe to our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. You can also learn more about us by visiting insight222.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Until then, take care and stay well.